Chapter Thirteen of *The Absentee* by Maria Edgeworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Larry drove off at full gallop and kept on at a good rate till he got out of the great gate and beyond the sight of the crowd. Then, pulling up, he turned to Lord Colambre. Please, your honour, I did not know nor guess ye was my lord when I let you have the horses. Did not know who you was from Adam. I'll take my affidavit there's no occasion said lord colambre i hope you don't repent letting me have the horses now you do know who i am oh not at all sure i'm as glad as the best horse i ever crossed that your honour is my lord but i was only telling your honour that you might not be looking upon me as a time-server i do not look upon you as a time-server larry but keep on that time may serve me in two words he explained his cause of haste and no sooner explained than understood larry thundered away through the town of clonbrony bending over his horses plying the whip and lending his very soul at every lash with much difficulty lord colambre stopped him at the end of the town at the post-office the post was gone out gone a quarter of an hour maybe we'll overtake the mail said larry and as he spoke he slid down from his seat and darted into the public-house reappearing in a few moments with a copper of ale and a horn in his hand he and another man held open the horses mouths and poured the ale through the horn down their throats now they'll go with spirit and with the hope of overtaking the mail larry made them go for life or death as he said but in vain at the next stage at his own indoor larry roared for fresh horses till he got them harnessed them with his own hands holding the six shilling piece which lord colambre had given him in his mouth all the while for he could not take time to put it into his pocket speed ye i wish i was driving you all the way then said he the other postillion was not yet ready then your honour sees said he putting his head into the carriage concerning of them garrities old nick and st dennis the best part that is the worst part of what i told you proved true and i'm glad of it that is i'm sorry for it but glad your honour knows it in time so heaven prosper you and may all the saints barrin st dennis have charge of you and all belonging to you till we see you here again and when will it be i cannot say when i shall return to you myself but i will do my best to send your landlord to you soon in the meantime my good fellow keep away from the sign of the horseshoe a man of your sense to drink and make an idiot and a brute of yourself true and it was only when i had lost hope i took to it but now bring me the book one of ye's out of the landlady's parlour by the virtue of this book and by all the books that ever was shut and opened i won't touch a drop of spirits good or bad till i see your honour again or some of the family this time twelve month that long i'll live on hope but mind if you disappoint me i don't swear but i'll take to the whisky for comfort all the rest of my days but don't be staying here wasting your time advising me bartley take the reins can't ye cried he giving them to the fresh postillion and keep on for your life for there's thousands of pounds dependin on the race so off off bartley with speed of light bartley did his best 
and such was the excellence of the roads that notwithstanding the rate at which our hero travelled he arrived safely in dublin and just in time to put his letter into the post-office and to sail in that night's packet the wind was fair when lord colambre went on board but before they got out of the bay it changed they made no way all night in the course of the next day they had the mortification to see another packet from dublin sail past them and when they landed at Hollyhead, were told the packet which had left ireland twelve hours after them had been in an hour before them the passengers had taken their places in the coach and engaged what horses could be had lord colambre was afraid that mr garraghty was one of them a person exactly answering his description had taken four horses and set out half an hour before in great haste for london luckily just as those who had taken their places in the mail were getting into the coach lord colambre saw among them a gentleman with whom he had been acquainted in dublin a barrister who was come over during the long vacation to make a tour of pleasure in england when lord colambre explained the reason he had for being in haste to reach london he had the good nature to give up to him his place in the coach lord colambre travelled all night and delayed not one moment till he reached his father's house in london my father at home yes my lord in his own room the agent from ireland with him on particular business desired not to be interrupted but i'll go and tell him my lord you are come lord colambre ran past the servant as he spoke made his way into the room found his father sir terence o'fay and mr garraghty leases open on the table before them a candle lighted sir terence sealing garraghty emptying a bag of guineas on the table and lord clonbrony actually with a pen in his hand ready to sign as the door opened garraghty started back so that half the contents of his bag rolled upon the floor stop my dear father i conjure you cried lord colambre springing forward and kneeling to his father at the same moment snatching the pen from his hand colambre god bless you my dear boy at all events but how came you here and what do you mean said his father burn it cried sir terence pinching the sealing wax for i burnt myself with the pleasure of the surprise garraghty without saying a word was picking up the guineas that were scattered upon the floor how fortunate i am cried lord colambre to have arrived just in time to tell you my dear father before you put your signature to these papers before you conclude this bargain all i know all i have seen of that man nick garraghty honest old nick do you know him my lord said sir terence too well sir mr garraghty what have you done to offend my son i did not expect this said lord clonbrony upon my conscience my lord nothing to my knowledge said mr garraghty picking up the guineas but showed him every civility even so far as offering to accommodate him with cash without security and where will you find the other agent in ireland or anywhere else will do that to my knowledge i never did anything by word or deed to offend my lord colambre nor could not for i never saw him but for ten minutes in my days and then he was in such a foaming passion began his lordship's pardon owing to the misrepresentations he met with of me i presume 
from a parcel of blackguards that he went amongst incognito he would not let me or my brother dennis say a word to set him right but exposed me before all the tenantry and then threw himself into a hack and drove off here to stop the signin' of these leases i perceive but i trust concluded he putting the replenished money-bag down with a heavy sound on the table opposite to lord clonbrony i trust my lord clonbrony will do me justice that's all i have to say i comprehend the force of your last argument fully sir said lord colambre may i ask how many guineas there are in the bag i don't ask whether they are my father's or not they are to be your lordship's father's sir if he thinks proper replied garraghty how many i don't know that i can justly positively say five hundred suppose and they would be my father's if he signed those leases i understand that perfectly and understand that my father would lose three times that sum by the bargain my dear father you start but it is true is not this the rent sir at which you were going to let mr garraghty have the land placing a paper before lord clonbrony it is the very thing and here sir written with my own hand are copies of the proposals i saw from responsible respectable tenants offered and refused is it so or is it not mr garraghty deny it if you can mr garraghty grew pale his lips quivered he stammered and after a shocking convulsion of face could at last articulate only that there was a great difference between tenant and tenant his lordship must be sensible especially for so large a rent as great a difference as between agent and agent i am sensible especially for so large a property said lord colambre with cool contempt you find sir i am well informed with regard to this transaction you will find also that i am equally well informed with respect to every part of your conduct towards my father and his tenantry if in relating to him what i have seen and heard i should make any mistakes you are here and i am glad you are to set me right and to do yourself justice oh as to that i should not presume to contradict anything your lordship asserts from your own authority where would be the use i leave it all to your lordship but as it is not particularly agreeable to stay to hear one's self abused sir terence i'll thank you to hand me my hat and if you'll have the goodness my lord clonbrony to look over finally the accounts before morning i'll call at your leisure to settle the balance as you find convenient as to the leases i'm quite indifferent so saying he took up his money-bag well you'll call again in the morning mr garraghty said sir terence and by that time i hope we shall understand this misunderstandin better sir terence pulled lord clonbrony's sleeve don't let him go with the money it's much wanted let him go said lord colambre money can be had by honourable means <sighs> he talks as if he had the bank of england at his command as every young man does said sir terence lord colambre deigned no reply lord clonbrony walked undecidedly between his agent and his son looked at sir terence and said nothing mr garraghty departed lord clonbrony called after him from the head of the stairs i shall be at home and at leisure in the morning 
sir terence ran downstairs after him lord colambre waited quietly for their return fifteen hundred guineas at a stroke of a goose-quill that was a neat hit narrowly missed of honest nicks said lord clonbrony too bad too bad faith i am much very much obliged to you colambre for that hint by to-morrow morning we shall have him in another tune and he must double the bag or quit said sir terence treble it if you please terry sure three times five's fifteen fifteen hundred down or he does not get my signature to those leases for his brother nor get the agency of the colambre estate colambre what more have you to tell of him for since he is making out his accounts against me it is no harm to have a per contra against him that may ease my balance very fair very fair said sir terence my lord trust me for rememberin' all the charges against him every item and when he can't clear himself if i don't make him buy a good character dear enough why say i'm a fool and don't know the value of character good or bad if you know the value of character sir terence said lord colambre you know that it is not to be bought or sold then turning from sir terence to his father he gave a full and true account of all he had seen in his progress through his irish estates and drew a faithful picture both of the bad and good agent lord Plunbrony, who had benevolent feelings and was fond of his tenantry was touched and when his son ceased speaking repeated several times rascal rascal how dare he use my tenant so the o'neills in particular rascal bad heart i'll have no more to do with him but suddenly recollecting himself he turned to sir terence and added that's sooner said than done i'll tell you honestly colambre your friend mr burke may be the best man in the world but he is the worst man to apply to for a remittance or a loan in a hurry he always tells me he can't distress the tenants and he never at coming into the agency even said sir terence advanced a good round sum to the landlord by way of security for his good behaviour now honest nick did that much for us at coming in and at going out is he not to be repaid said lord colambre that's the devil said lord clonbrony that's the very reason i can't conveniently turn him out i will make it convenient to you sir if you will permit me said lord colambre in a few days i shall be of age and will join with you in raising whatever sum you want to free you from this man allow me to look over his account and whatever the honest balance may be let him have it my dear boy said lord clonbrony you're a generous fellow fine irish heart glad you're my son but there's more much more that you don't know added he looking at sir terence who cleared his throat and lord clonbrony who was on the point of opening all his affairs to his son stopped short colambre said he we will not say anything more of this at present for nothing effectual can be done till you are of age and then we shall see all about it 
lord colambre perfectly understood what his father meant and what was meant by the clearing of sir terence's throat lord clonbrony wanted his son to join him in opening the estate to pay his debts and sir terence feared that if lord colambre were abruptly told the whole sum total of the debts he would never be persuaded to join in selling or mortgaging so much of his patrimony as would be necessary for their payment sir terence thought that the young man ignorant probably of business and unsuspicious of the state of his father's affairs might be brought by proper management to any measures they desired lord clonbrony wavered between the temptation to throw himself upon the generosity of his son and the immediate convenience of borrowing a sum of money from his agent to relieve his present embarrassments nothing can be settled repeated he till colambre is of age so it does not signify talking of it why so sir said lord colambre though my act in law may not be valid till i am of age my promise as a man of honour is binding now and i trust would be as satisfactory to my father as any legal deed whatever undoubtedly my dear boy but but what said lord colambre following his father's eye which turned to sir terence o'fay as if asking his permission to explain as my father's friend sir you ought permit me to say at this moment to use your influence to prevail upon him to throw aside all reserve with a son whose warmest wish is to serve him and to see him at ease and happy generous dear boy cried lord clonbrony terence i can't stand it but how shall i bring myself to name the amount of the debts at some time or other i must know it said lord colambre i cannot be better prepared at any moment than the present never more disposed to give my assistance to relieve all difficulties blindfold i cannot be led to any purpose sir said he looking at sir terence the attempt would be degrading and futile blindfolded i will not be but with my eyes open i will see and go straight and prompt as heart can go to my father's interest without a look or thought to my own boy st patrick the spirit of a prince and an irish prince spoke there cried sir terence and if i'd fifty hearts you'd have all in your hand this minute at your service and warm blindfold you after that a man that would attempt it deserves to be shot and i'd have no sincerer pleasure in life than shootin him this moment was he my best friend but it's not clonbrony or your father my lord would act that way no more than sir terence o'fay there's the schedule of the debts drawing a paper from his bosom and i'll swear to the lot and not a man on earth could do that but myself lord colambre opened the paper his father turned aside covering his face with both his hands tut man said sir terence i know him now better than you he will stand you'll find the shock of that regiment of figures he is steel to the backbone and proof spirit i thank you my dear father said lord colambre for trusting me thus at once with a view of the truth 
at first sight it is i acknowledge worse than i expected but i make no doubt that when you allow me to examine mr garraghty's accounts and mr mordecai's claims we shall be able to reduce this alarming total considerably my dear father you think we learn nothing but latin and greek at cambridge but you are mistaken the divil a pound nor a penny said sir terence for you have to deal with the jew and old nick and i'm not a match for them i don't know who is and i have no hope of getting any abatement i've looked over the accounts till i'm sick nevertheless you will observe that fifteen hundred guineas have been saved to my father at one stroke by his not signing those leases saved to you my lord not your father if you please said sir terence for now i'm upon the square with you i must be straight as an arrow and deal with you as the son and friend of my friend before i was considering you only as the son and heir which is quite another thing you know accordingly actin for your father here i was making the best bargain against you i could honestly now i tell you i knew the value of the lands well enough we were as sharp as garraghty and he knew it we were to have had the difference from him partly in cash and partly in balance of accounts you comprehend and you only would have been the loser and never would have known it maybe till after we all were dead and buried and then you might have set aside garraghty's lease easy and no harm done to any but a rogue that deserved it and in the meantime an accommodation to my honest friend my lord your father here but as fate would have it you upset all by your progress incognito through them estates well it's best as it is and i am better pleased to be as we are trustin all to a generous son's own heart now put the poor father out of pain and tell us what you'll do my dear in one word then said lord colambre i will upon two conditions either join my father in levying fines to enable him to sell or mortgage whatever portion of his estate is necessary for the payment of these debts or i will in whatever other mode he can point out as more agreeable or more advantageous to him join in giving security to his creditors dear noble fellow cried sir terence none but an irishman could do it lord clonbrony melted to tears could not articulate but held his arms open to embrace his son but you have not heard my conditions yet said lord colambre oh confound the conditions cried sir terence what conditions could he ask that i could refuse at this minute said lord clonbrony nor i was it my heart's blood and were i to be hanged for it cried sir terence and what are the conditions that mr garraghty shall be dismissed from the agency and welcome and glad to get rid of him the rogue the tyrant said lord clonbrony and to be beforehand with you in your next wish put mr burke into his place i'll write the letter for you to sign my lord this minute cried terry with all the pleasure in life no it's my lord colambre should do that in all justice but what's your next condition i hope it's no worse said lord clonbrony 
that you and my mother should cease to be absentees oh murder said sir terence maybe that's not so easy for there are two words to that bargain lord clonbrony declared that for his own part he was ready to return to ireland next morning and to promise to reside on his estate all the rest of his days that there was nothing he desired more provided lady clonbrony would consent to it but that he could not promise for her that she was as obstinate as a mule on that point that he had often tried but that there was no moving her and that in short he could not promise on her part but it was on this condition lord colambre said he must insist without this condition was granted he would not engage to do anything well we must only see how it will be when she comes to town she will come up from buxton the day you're of age to sign some papers said lord clonbrony but added he with a very dejected look and voice if all's to depend on my lady clonbrony's consenting to return to ireland i'm as far from all hope of being at ease as ever upon my conscience we are all at sea again said sir terence lord colambre was silent but in his silence there was such an air of firmness that both lord clonbrony and sir terence were convinced entreaties would on this point be fruitless lord clonbrony sighed deeply but when it's ruin or safety and her husband and all belongin to her at stake the woman can't persist in bein a mule said sir terence of whom are you talking said lord colambre of whom oh i beg your lordship's pardon i thought i was talking to my lord but in other words as you are her son i'm persuaded her ladyship your mother will prove herself a reasonable woman when she sees she can't help it so my lord clonbrony cheer up a great deal may be done by the fear of mordecai and an execution especially now there's no prior creditor since there's no reserve between you and i now my lord colambre said sir terence i must tell you all and how we shambled on those months while you were in ireland first mordecai went to law to prove i was in a conspiracy with your father pretendin to be prior creditor to keep him off and out of his own which after a world of swearin and law law always takes time to do justice that's one comfort the villain proved at last to be true enough and so cast us and i was forced to be paid off last week so there's no prior creditor or any shield of pretence that way then his execution was comin down upon us and nothin to stay it till i thought of a monthly annuity to mordecai in the shape of a wager so the mornin after he cast us i went to him mr mordecai says i you must be pleased to see a man you've beaten so handsomely and though i'm sore both for myself and my friend yet you see i can laugh still though an execution is no laughing matter and i'm sensible you've one in petto in your sleeve for my friend lord clonbrony but i'll lay you a wager of a hundred guineas in paper that a marriage of his son with a certain heiress before next lady day 
will set all to rights and pay you with a compliment too good heavens sir terence surely you said no such thing i did but what was it but a wager which is nothing but a dream and when lost as i am as sensible as you are that it must be why what is it after all but a bonus in a gentlemanlike form to mordecai which i grant you is more than he deserves for stay in the execution till you be of age and even for my lady clonbrony's sake though i know she hates me like poison rather than have her disturbed by an execution i'd pay the hundred guineas this minute out of my own pocket if i had em in it a thundering knock at the door was heard at this moment never heed it let him thunder said sir terence whoever it is they won't get in for my lord bid them let none in for their life it's necessary for us to be very particular about the street door now and i advise a double chain for it and to have the footmen well tutored to look before they run to a double rap for a double rap might be a double trap my lady and miss nugent my lord said a footman throwing open the door my mother miss nugent cried lord colambre springing eagerly forward colambre here said his mother but it's all too late now and no matter where you are lady clonbrony coldly suffered her son to embrace her and he without considering the coldness of her manner scarcely hearing and not at all understanding the words she said fixed his eyes on his cousin who with a countenance all radiant with affectionate joy held out her hand to him dear cousin colambre what an unexpected pleasure he seized the hand but as he was going to kiss it the recollection of st omar crossed his mind he checked himself and said something about joy and pleasure but his countenance expressed neither and miss nugent much surprised by the coldness of his manner withdrew her hand and turning away left the room grace darling called lord clonbrony whither so fast before you've given me a word or a kiss she came back and hastily kissed her uncle who folded her in his arms why must i let you go and what makes you so pale my dear child i am a little a little tired i will be with you again soon her uncle let her go your famous buxton baths don't seem to have agreed with her by all i can see said lord clonbrony my lord the buxton baths are no way to blame but i know what is to blame and who is to blame said lady clonbrony in a tone of displeasure fixing her eyes upon her son yes you may well look confounded colambre but it is too late now you should have known your own mind in time i see you have heard it then but i am sure i don't know how for it was only decided the day i left buxton the news could hardly travel faster than i did pray how did you hear it hear what ma'am said lord colambre why that miss broadhurst is going to be married oh is that all ma'am said our hero much relieved all now lord colambre you really are too much for my patience 
but i flatter myself you will feel when i tell you that it is your friend sir arthur Beryl, as i always prophesied who has carried off the prize from you but for the fear of displeasing my dear mother i should say that i do feel sincere pleasure in this marriage i always wished it my friend sir arthur from the first moment trusted me with the secret of his attachment he knew that he had my warm good wishes for his success he knew that i thought most highly of the young lady but that i never thought of her as a wife for myself and why did not you that is the very thing i complain of said lady clonbrony but it is all over now you may set your heart at ease for they are to be married on thursday and poor mrs broadhurst is ready to break her heart for she was set upon a coronet for her daughter and you ungrateful as you are you don't know how she wished you to be the happy man but only conceive after all that had passed miss broadhurst had the assurance to expect i would let my niece be her bridesmaid oh i flatly refused that is i told grace it could not be and that there might be no affront to mrs broadhurst who did not deserve it i pretended grace had never mentioned it but ordered my carriage and left buxton directly grace was hurt for she is very warm in her friendships i am sorry to hurt grace but really i could not let her be bridesmaid and that if you must know is what vexed her and made the tears come in her eyes i suppose and i'm sorry for it but one must keep up one's dignity a little after all miss broadhurst was only a citizen and really now a very odd girl never did anything like anybody else settled her marriage at last in the oddest way grace can tell you the particulars i own i am tired of the subject and tired of my journey my lord i shall take leave to dine in my own room to-day continued her ladyship as she quitted the room i hope her ladyship did not notice me said sir terence o'fay coming from behind a window-curtain why terry what did you hide for said lord clonbrony hide i didn't hide nor wouldn't from any man livin let alone any woman hide no but i just stood looking out of the window behind this curtain that my poor lady clonbrony might not be discomfited and shocked by the sight of one whom she can't abide the very minute she come home oh i've some consideration it would have put her out of humour worse with both of you too and for that there's no need as far as i see so i'll take myself off to my coffee-house to dine and maybe you may get her down and into spirits again but for your lives don't touch upon ireland this night not till she has fairly got the better of the marriage apropos there's my wager to mordecai gone at a slap it's i that ought to be scolding you my lord colambre but i trust you will do as well yet not in point of purse maybe but i'm not one of those that think that money's everything though i grant you in this world there's nothing to be had without it love excepted which most people don't believe in but not i in particular cases so i leave you with my blessin and i've a notion at this time that is better than my company your most devoted 
the good-natured sir terence would not be persuaded by lord clonbrony to stay nodding at lord colambre as he went out of the room he said i've an eye in going to your heart's ease too when i played myself i never liked standers by sir terence was not deficient in penetration but he never could help boasting of his discoveries lord colambre was grateful for his judicious departure and followed his equally judicious advice not to touch upon ireland this night lady clonbrony was full of buxton and he was glad to be relieved from the necessity of talking and he indulged himself in considering what might be passing in miss nugent's mind she now appeared in remarkably good spirits for her aunt had given her a hint that she thought her out of humour because she had not been permitted to be miss broadhurst's bridesmaid and she was determined to exert herself to dispel this notion this it was now easy for her to do because she had by this time in her own imagination found a plausible excuse for that coldness in lord colambre's reception of her by which she had at first been hurt she had settled it that he had taken it for granted she was of his mother's sentiments respecting miss broadhurst's marriage and that this idea and perhaps the apprehension of her reproaches had caused his embarrassment she knew that she could easily set this misunderstanding right accordingly when lady clonbrony had talked herself to sleep about buxton and was taking her afternoon's nap as it was her custom to do when she had neither cards nor company to keep her awake miss nugent began to explain her own sentiments and to give lord colambre as her aunt had desired an account of the manner in which miss broadhurst's marriage had been settled in the first place said she let me assure you that i rejoice in this marriage i think your friend sir arthur Beryl, is every way deserving of my friend miss broadhurst and this from me said she smiling is no slight eulogium i have marked the rise and progress of their attachment and it has been founded on the perception of such excellent qualities on each side that i have no fear for its permanence sir arthur Beryl's honourable conduct in paying his father's debts and his generosity to his mother and sisters whose fortunes were left entirely dependent upon him first pleased my friend it was like what she would have done herself and like in short it is what few young men as she said of the present day would do then his refraining from all personal expenses his going without equipage and without horses that he might do what he felt to be right whilst it exposed him continually to the ridicule of fashionable young men or to the charge of avarice made a very different impression on miss broadhurst's mind her esteem and admiration were excited by these proofs of strength of character and of just and good principles if you go on you will make me envious and jealous of my friend said lord colambre you jealous oh it is too late now besides you cannot be jealous for you never loved i never loved miss broadhurst i acknowledge there was the advantage sir arthur Beryl had over you he loved and my friend saw it 
she was clear-sighted said lord colambre she was clear-sighted repeated miss nugent but if you mean that she was vain and apt to fancy people in love with her i can assure you that you are mistaken never was woman young or old more clear-sighted to the views of those by whom she was addressed no flattery no fashion could blind her judgment she knew how to choose a friend well i am sure said lord colambre and a friend for life too i am sure you will allow and she had such numbers such strange variety of admirers as might have puzzled the choice and turned the brain of any inferior person such a succession of lovers as she has had this summer ever since you went to ireland they appeared and vanished like figures in a magic lantern she had three noble admirers rank in three different forms offered themselves first came in hobbling rank and gout next rank and gaming then rank very high rank over head and ears in debt all of these were rejected and as they moved off i thought mrs broadhurst would have broken her heart next came fashion with his head heart and soul in his cravat he quickly made his bow or rather his nod and walked off taking a pinch of snuff then came a man of gallantry but whispered miss nugent there was a mistress in the wood and my friend could have nothing to do with that gentleman now if she liked the man interrupted lord clonbrony and i suppose she did for all women but yourself grace like men of gallantry miss broadhurst was a goose for refusing him on account of the mistress because she might have been bought up and settled with a few thousand pounds be that as it may said miss nugent my friend did not like and would not accept of the man of gallantry so he retired and comforted himself with a copy of verses then came a man of wit but still it was wit without worth and presently came worth without wit she preferred wit and worth united which she fortunately at last found lord colambre in your friend sir arthur Barrel grace my girl said her uncle i'm glad to see you've got up your spirits again though you were not to be bridesmaid well i hope you'll be bride soon i'm sure you ought to be and you should think of rewarding that poor mr salisbury who plagues me to death whenever he can catch hold of me about you he must have our definitive at last you know grace a silence ensued which neither miss nugent nor lord colambre seemed willing or able to break very good company faith you three one of ye asleep and the other two saying nothing to keep one awake colambre have you no dublin news grace have you no buxton scandal what was it lady clonbrony told us you'd tell us about the oddness of miss broadhurst's settling her marriage tell me that for i love to hear odd things perhaps you will not think it odd said she one evening but i should begin by telling you that three of her admirers beside sir arthur Barrel, had followed her to buxton and had been paying their court to her all the time we were there 
and at last grew impatient for her decision ay for her definitive said lord clonbrony miss nugent was put out again but resumed so one evening just before the dancing began the gentlemen were all standing round miss broadhurst one of them said i wish miss broadhurst would decide that whoever she dances with to-night should be her partner for life what a happy man he would be but how can i decide said miss broadhurst i wish i had a friend to plead for me said one of the suitors looking at me have you no friend of your own said miss broadhurst plenty of friends said the gentleman plenty then you must be a very happy man replied miss broadhurst come said she laughing i will dance with that man who can convince me that he has near relations excepted one true friend in the world that man who has made the best friend i dare say will make the best husband at that moment continued miss nugent i was certain who would be her choice the gentlemen all declared at first that they had abundance of excellent friends the best friends in the world but when miss broadhurst cross-examined them as to what their friends had done for them or what they were willing to do modern friendship dwindled into a ridiculously small compass i cannot give you the particulars of the cross-examination though it was conducted with great spirit and humour by miss broadhurst but i can tell you the result that sir arthur Beryl, by incontrovertible facts and eloquence warm from the heart convinced everybody present that he had the best friend in the world and miss broadhurst as he finished speaking gave him her hand and he led her off in triumph so you see lord colambre you were at last the cause of my friend's marriage she turned to lord colambre as she spoke these words with such an affectionate smile and such an expression of open inmost tenderness in her whole countenance that our hero could hardly resist the impulse of his passion could hardly restrain himself from falling at her feet that instant and declaring his love but st omar st omar it must not be i must be gone said lord clonbrony pulling out his watch it is time to go to my club and poor terry will wonder what has become of me lord colambre instantly offered to accompany his father much to lord clonbrony's and more to miss nugent's surprise what said she to herself after so long an absence leave me leave his mother with whom he always used to stay on purpose to avoid me what can i have done to displease him it is clear it was not about miss broadhurst's marriage he was offended for he looked pleased and like himself whilst i was talking of that but the moment afterwards what a constrained unintelligible expression of countenance and leaves me to go to a club which he detests as the gentleman shut the door on leaving the room lady clonbrony wakened and starting up exclaimed what's the matter are they gone is colambre gone yes ma'am with my uncle 
very odd very odd of him to go and leave me he always used to stay with me what did he say about me nothing ma'am well then i have nothing to say about him or about anything indeed for i'm excessively tired and stupid alone in london's as bad as anywhere else ring the bell and we'll go to bed directly if you have no objection grace grace made no objection lady clonbrony went to bed and to sleep in ten minutes miss nugent went to bed but she lay awake considering what could be the cause of her cousin colambre's hard unkindness and of his altered eye she was openness itself and she determined that the first moment she could speak to him alone she would at once ask for an explanation with this resolution she rose in the morning and went down to the breakfast-room in hopes of meeting him as it had formerly been his custom to be early and she expected to find him reading in his usual place End of chapter thirteen